So, so tonight, the discourse, the conversation is about dealing with, with racism. Y'all know that, okay? Okay, cool, all right. All right, here we go. So first of all, I have to say this, right? So I'm gonna deal primarily tonight with racism as it relates to African Americans and whites in the United States in probably since about 1500 is the time period I'll be dealing with, okay? So here's what I do understand. I understand that there's been racism since as long as man has been on earth, just about, right? I also understand that there are many other ethnic groups that deal with racism in the United States of America, right? Native Americans for one, right? I think this land, as far as I can remember, uh, kind of belonged to them and this people came over and kicked them out, sort of kind of. There's a lot we need to fill in between there, but that's how I remember it happening in I don't want to say the textbooks that I read, because some of them got it wrong, but when I grew up and read some other books, that's, that's kind of the story that I got, right? I also understand that Asian Americans have, have, have been persecuted and again, again, pushed west here in the United States, and they've dealt with a ton of racism. We can look at Hitler and all that, that took place in Germany and all the racism that took place there, but primarily my conversation, even in the biblical times, primarily my conversation will deal with what I think is the most tense form of racism uh, as it relates to us in our current time, which is African-Americans and whites. Is that, is that fair to say right now? Y'all cool with that? Yes or no? Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay, cool. So that, that's my platform leading forward tonight. So I want to do a little bit of historical stuff. And the reason why I want to do some historical stuff is because I think, well, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that our school curriculums get it wrong. I know it because that's what I do for a living. I study curriculums and I write them. So I'm a pastor, I think you all probably know that, right? Did y'all know that? Okay, cool. So I have four earned degrees in education, and I'm only telling you that because I study education for a living. I typically don't say that, but if you think, oh, he's just blowing smoke, curriculum's got it right, no. I think many of them have it wrong. Okay, I study elementary education and high school education and leadership studies and curriculum and instructions and educational leadership. So I've spent my life studying curriculums, writing curriculums, analyzing them, looking through them. I found great joy in doing that, right? That's what I love doing. So our curriculums have gotten it wrong, most of them. So I'm starting there. There's just some things I want to fly through tonight, even as we go forward, okay? So, so if you think about some of the things that I'm saying, uh, some things may even rub, may rub you wrong tonight, right? If I could title the first half of our discourse tonight, I want to call it the miseducation of Americans. The miseducation of Americans, right? Now there's a great book, I'm gonna drop some books on you. So there's a good book called The Miseducation of the Negro. You ought to pick that up, The Miseducation of the Negro. It's a great book, you ought to read it, okay? So I'm gonna give, give you some other books you ought to read as well. So here, here are some things that we ought to deal with that we ought to be as it relates to racism. We ought to be responsive. So when we hear racist things taking place, we can't sit dormant as if these things aren't taking place around us, right? Have you ever seen like, have you ever seen that happen where, like the, the whole world is falling and somebody's like sitting at their desk or just, just move, not moving, pretending as if the world is not falling? So as things are taking place around us, we have to be responsive. And I'm talking to believers. If you don't know Jesus, I'm only sort of kind of talking to you because your heart is bent backwards in your heart. You don't really love Jesus. So what I'm seeing right now may, may, may seem kind of out of the box or even extraordinary to you. So I'm particularly right now talking to those who love Jesus. Okay? And I mean that. No apologies. If you don't know Jesus, maybe through this discourse you come to know him. All right? Y'all got that? So we have to be responsive as believers. We also have to be intuitive. 
which means we have to know what is taking place around us and read situations and circumstances rightly, okay? We have to be intuitive, which means we are keen to the things that are taking place in and around us all the time, okay? Third, we have to be sympathetic. We have to be sympathetic. As believers, we have to be sympathetic. Now, we can even be sympathetic as non-believers, people who just want to be morally good. We ought to be sympathetic. And then finally, we ought to be kind-hearted. And if you need to be able to track it, I just spelled the word risk, R-I-S-K, responsive, intuitive, sympathetic, and kind-hearted. As you all think about your own life right now, all of you all are leaders, wherever you are. I got that? Everybody in here is a leader, period. You're in this organization, you're leading, maybe you're on a sports team, you're leading, you're part of an organization, you could be leading, you're in a classroom, you're leading. So here's some things I think we ought to all do as leaders. There's a good book called Leading From Within, The 360 Degree Leader, written by John Maxwell. It's a little burgundy thing, it's probably written 10, maybe 15 years ago. It's a good book. So even if you're not the president, or the CEO, or the CFO, or leading your organization, there's a way that you can lead, 360 degree leader leading from within. Here's some things we ought to do. It is your responsibility to educate and re-educate those people who you lead, period. Even if it's just your roommate. You get information, you give them information, you got that? Number two, you can lead even in these discussions in your local church. Don't think that just because you haven't been a member there for 15 years or five years or one year are you just doing or you're only 20 something years old that you can't lead, no, 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 no. You can lead from within your local church. Got that? And you all are young, so it's never too late to start. Even if you say, I've blown it for the last six months of my life since I've been to Stevens University of Louisville as it deals with racism, I've blown it my whole life, I think I've got it all right. It's never too late to get started on this, on this path of kind of re-educating ourselves. Okay, okay, no, so that, that's good. So first of all, I never want you all to think you have to reconcile anything or anybody except for in your own heart. I want you all to know that, okay, and I mean that. You don't have to reconcile any big theological concepts. You don't have to reconcile whatever's going on outside the world. The only thing we need to focus on as believers is reconciliation within our own heart. As a matter of fact, there's a great book called the Renovation of the Heart, written by Dallas Willard, and, it's, and it's talk, it talks about a heart work. Okay, so that's what we reconcile. So, so, okay, so let me hit this. And you got me off track, but I'm going to go back to it. So people are always like, hey, hey how, do you how do you reconcile like Martin Luther King and, and him like, you know, cheating on his wife, but he was a great civil rights leader, and, and people ask me that. Can, can we really listen to King's preaching? And oh, he was, a, he was a whoremonger, and he slept with people everywhere he went, so everything else he did is out the window. I say, well, hell, you know, yeah, I, I, what do you think? You know, David, David was a, a whoremonger. And we love his songs. Like, should either one of them be in hell? Are both of them going to heaven? So, so I say, I don't have to reconcile that, right? I say I can, I can read the words of Martin Luther King or Martin Luther, right? And I can also read the words of David. It's not my job to reconcile them. It's my job to make sure that I'm reconciling in my own heart, okay? And then, and then I'm dealing with those issues. Did I answer your question a little bit? I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it again in a minute, okay? Here's some historical highlights. So you may ask yourself sometimes like, hey, are black people mad? Have y'all ever seen like black people think like, it's like they just mad, they angry right now because this racist stuff is going on. And I get this sense that black folk are angry. Y'all ever get that? Oh, I get it, I'm black, so maybe I can say it. Like, now what is going on? Like, why do they seem angry? It's just a killing. 
Like one kid gets killed, he sold drugs. I mean, is that a what? Oh, what's the big deal? Here is where we're wrong as we think about issues that are happening right now in the United States of America. That is 10 minutes, man, I'm horrible with time. Here's the deal. When African-Americans deal with issues today in today's society, none of us, most African-Americans aren't thinking that's one killing, that's one shooting, that's one isolated incident. Most of us are thinking 1600, slavery being legalized in the United States of America and then 400 years of oppression since then. So it's never an isolated incident when black people, African-Americans, are dealing with moments in today's history. Let me just let me, there's a great book called Self-Taught by Andrea Williams. African-American Education in Slavery and in Freedom. Andrea Williams, Self-Taught, okay? So if you read that book, you will see that African-Americans used to have limbs chopped off for trying to learn to read the Bible. Can you imagine that? A slave master cutting off limbs when, when they catch a black person trying to read the Bible? Like that's what comes to my mind sometimes when I think of racism, right? Here's some historical highlights that maybe your school didn't teach you. Dred Scott versus Sanford, 1857. African Americans were at that point called legal citizens. Before that, we were like less than half or three-fifths of a human being. Y'all get that? Like African Americans were treated like cattle, chattel slavery. Born into slavery, you live as a slave, you die as a slave. Black people were owned property. So that's why black folk are mad sometimes when they, when they see these systemic things taking place. There's also another book you should read called The New Jim Crow. And what she does, is Michelle Alexander? Yes. What she does in that book is draw the eerie connection between slavery and the current penal system. That's what she does. She said, these things are eerily similar. It's no surprise. Okay. Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896. Segregation is still legal then. Brown versus Board of Education, 1954. Do you all know that the birth of the Christian schools came in result to, to African Americans like being legalized citizens? I love Whitfield Academy, I love Christian Academy, I love all of our Christian schools. I, I do whatever I can to help serve in those places. But those places were birthed out of racism. The Southern Baptist Convention was birthed out of racism. Basically, a bunch of Christians said, we don't like black people, and so we're going to go start our own convention. So some of us say, hey, is this racism thing really real? Are we really dealing with things that are reality? Yes, it's a reality. It is real. Now, we've been miseducated. Go back to the title of this discourse. We've been miseducated, we've been misguided, and so therefore we're only hearing like one side of the story. The Bible says do what? Hear how many sides of the story before you make your decision? Two. One man's case seems right as he's pleading until you hear the, the other side. How many of you all, this you have to raise your hand, how many of you all have read just as many books by black people or people who are minorities as you had compared to whites? So we're only hearing one side of the story. You're only getting one side of the story. That's dangerous. The Bible tells us don't do that. But we do that very thing as it relates to our own education and feeding our own hearts. That's wrong. And do y'all know that at one time, like, white people would just attack black churches? Like, what's the best case the 
kill, that's the best place to kill a bunch of black people. Let's just put bombs in their churches. And while they're worshiping and praising God, let's see how many we can kill. Y'all know that's a reality? That's the real, that's not make-believe. That's how wayward, that's how desperately wicked the heart is. So you think about the Little Rock Nine. Write that down. Look up those little girls. Oh, that's Central High School right there. Birmingham. If you, just, if you just Google church bombings during the Civil Rights Movement, you'll get way more than your heart wants to deal with tonight. In our own city, busing became legal in like 1972. So what are, what are the generational effects of that? What are the generational effects of my grandmother only having an eighth grade education? Wasn't welcome in most schools and then had to work. And then even my mother barely making it through high school. What, what are the generational effects on education as it relates to that? And it all has to do with racism. I'm gonna pause. Here's one way, here's a, here's a broad way that I think we overlook, right? Christopher Columbus came and discovered America. Like how do you discover somewhere where people already live? <laughs> so the whole time we paint this guy as like this giant who did a good thing by coming over, pretending as if he discovered somebody's land, tricking them, killing them, and then pushing them to a reservation. Like that's, it was mass murder. And we celebrate him with a day. That's insane. Like that's just one way. You get, was that good enough? Okay. Sorry, I yelled. Sorry for yelling. Turn, turn my mic down. I'm just, I'm just kidding. You see what I'm saying? Though? So then we're, so what? What if your teacher would have said, "Hey, this guy named Christopher Columbus left his own land, came to somebody else's land, killed a bunch of little people, and then pushed them out of the way." That's never the narrative that we get. He is not some saint that ought to be chased after and given a day. He was a murderer. That's what he was. What if? Just what if tomorrow? What if tomorrow people from Venezuela start busting down our door or China or North Korea or whatever and say, hey, hey, knock, knock. God told me this land is my land. It's time for you to go. All y'all move to California. We'd be like, hold up. I don't want no turkey. Hey, in 1940, Kenneth and Mamie Clark did something called the Doll Study. Y'all heard that before? Write it down. Kenneth and Mamie Clark, both PhDs, brilliant scholars. In short, they said, in short, they took little kids and they gave these little kids black babies and white babies, right? Okay, trying to see which baby they would like the most. They gave these babies to little black kids. Now, here is how the images that we see like distort us and tear up our hearts, right? Here, here are the results. Man, I ain't got but here's the results. These are given to little black kids, six to eight years old, I believe. Then here's again, before you say, oh, that was in 1940, there have been repeated studies done time and time again, and the results don't change. Some of y'all's heart says, oh, this was in 1940. No, 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 Multiple times. Here's the results. 66, here, here's the question, here are the results. Each tied to a Bible verse on ways we can begin to help write some of this stuff. All right, here, here are the question, here's the answers. Give me the doll that you like best. So here's a little kid, little black kid. This white doll sitting right here, black doll sitting right here, and, 
and Kenneth and Mamie Clark say, give me the doll that you like the best. 67% of the African-American kids gave them the white doll. How is that for self-efficacy? Let me keep going. Give me the doll that is a nice doll. Ask a little black kid, give me the doll that's a nice doll. 59% gave them the, what you call the doll? Just say it. The white, white doll. Thank you. Give me the, check this out. Give me the doll that looks bad. Now here's where we get to, oh, it's so crazy. Give me the doll that looks bad. 59% of the black kids gave the black doll and they said, give me the doll that looks bad. Fourth question, give me the doll that is a nice color. 60% gave the white baby. These are little black kids right now whose self-image is already distorted by six. Now how does that happen? Intentional, strategic racism. So what can we do about this? Y'all, there's so much more I would like to say. Okay, here we go. I wrote a book called Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I rewrote that book and it didn't start as a book idea. It started through like two years of prayer with me and Dr. Jarvis Williams saying, Lord, how in the world can we help reshape how people in the Southern Baptist Convention think about race? So two years in his office on our knees praying, Lord, give us a way to do this through teaching and through preaching and through education and the Lord gave us a he was like, How, how'd you write a book? How'd you write a book? Well, we start off with two years of prayer. We, we, we had no idea it was going to be a book, right? But it started there. Eleven things I want you to do. I'll say them, and then I'll say them again, and I'll keep saying them. You got it? So I'm going to say them, then I'll give a Bible verse, and then I'm going to say them again. Here's eleven things. Number one, I want you to listen. Number two, Seek. S-E-E-K. Number three, meet. M-E-E-T. Not M-E-A-T for those of you who are hungry. Number four, pray. P-A-R-Y, not P-R-E-Y. See, I used to teach kindergartners, right? So you gotta, you gotta break those words down. Only in the United States of America do we have all these words that have homophones and homonyms and all that good stuff, all right? Remember, number five. Number five is remember. Number one, listen. Number two, seek. Number three, meet. Number four, pray. Number five, remember. Number six, destroy. Number seven, Preach, read is the next one, stop is number nine, 10 is curriculum, give y'all some key words, number 11, conference, here they go again, listen, seek, meet, pray, remember, destroy, preach, read, stop, curriculum, conference, I got that? My man's trying to write it down, I'm so sorry, listen, I told Kyle before, so I'm going to probably just send y'all some notes, alright, okay, I'm just going to send y'all some notes, here we go. James, here's some scriptures. James 1.19. Listen to the stories of others and imagine a walk in their shoes before you speak. The Bible tells us, James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Most of us talk way too much about stuff we don't know. Especially stuff we see on TV and reading in the news media on whatever your favorite news channel is. Most of them are not pastors expositing scripture and walking through these with a biblical framework. They're talking from a, from a secular, hedonistic, unethical framework. And we drink it like water, like it's the Bible and Jesus. Stop that. Number two. 
John 12, 12 to 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his own life for a friend. Seek, number two, seek and create authentic friendships rooted in love. We seek them. We seek them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go find somebody who ain't your skin color and say, I want to be your friend. As awkward as it may be, it's okay. The worst they can say is, I don't want to be your friend. You're a nutcase. Or maybe they say, I'd be delighted to be your friend. You are nuts. Like, what made, what made you ask me that? You say, listen, I just heard this guy talk, and he's telling me to get some relationships with people who don't look like me. Blame it on me. Give him my phone number. I don't care. Question. How many of you all have minority friends you would lay down your life for? I'm willing to die for you. That's good. Here we go. Meat, M-E-E-T. I'm hungry. I gotta keep saying it to myself. I'm saying meat. Okay, here we go. Meat on others' territory. Acts 16, 11 through 15. Lydia's conversion. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. Now, that was, that was not typical. That was not typical for Jews and other folks to be, first of all, going to a woman's house, secondly, be going to a Gentile woman's house. So she said, no, 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 no. If you're really a believer, come meet on my territory. Stop asking minorities to meet on your ground. Go to them. I thought that. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Most of us spend more time listening to news media than actually praying for the very things we are most concerned about. Pray without ceasing. Pray for minority churches. Pray for minority pastors. Pray for your own heart. Pray for all that stuff to be regenerated and renewed. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 11. Destroy. Destroy monolithic leadership spaces. If all of the leaders in your organization are white, you need to rethink that. And I know your leaders are thinking through that right now. It's not an attack on crew at all. I don't want you to hear that. He's attacking the leaders. No, that's not what I'm doing. Because your leaders have talked and they're thinking and they're praying through what it means to rethink leadership structure. The worst thing we can do, y'all, is start organizations with a bunch of with monolithic, which means one, one specific group, whether it's an all-women's organization or an all-men's organization or white or black or whatever, and say, hey, now let's see if we can reach another ethnic group. No, 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 no. Get everybody who looks not like you around the table and say, how are we going to do this moving forward? That's the mistake many people make. So if you're going to be leading an organization, say, before you leave, I need to get a bunch of people around the table that don't look like me. Do it. Dr. Williams and I were thinking about planting a church some years ago. So Dr. Williams and I prayed for it. We, we prayed, Lord, we want to plant the church. We want to plant a church. We want to. That was part of our prayer, and the book kind of birthed out of that. But we're praying, Lord, we want to start a church. Multi-ethnic. Here, here was our prayer. And the Lord didn't answer, so we didn't plant. What happened to that? We didn't plant. We said, Lord, we don't want to be a seminary church. We don't want to be a church big to any particular ethnic group. So we prayed this. Jarvis, Dr. Williams is biracial. I'm black, if you all didn't know. We said we want one white, blue-collar pastor. Not connected to the seminary. Lord, give us a guy who works at GE or UPS or FedEx. Give us a blue-collar guy, that white guy, literally, who loves Jesus. Give us that. Then he said, give us one Asian-American pastor, blue-collar guy, theological guy. We don't care. Who loves Jesus. Give us that. 
And then we say, give us an Hispanic or Latin American pastor who loves Jesus. That's how we want to plant our church, Lord. You know, we don't have those five ethnic groups. We won't plant. We didn't say, let's go ahead and plant and then pray for these people to come. We didn't plant. If we don't have it from the start, we don't want it. And that's sometimes the issue with our organizations. We start these things and then we say, oh, yeah, later on, let's invite people in. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's my time. Y'all have some more to say, but I could be here all night. Hey, the baggage is real. We can't, we can't, we can't ignore the stink. And when, it, when, it's, and when it's stink in the room, it stinks. Everybody can smell it. My son farts in the car sometime, and ain't no sense of pretending like ain't nobody. Y'all call it fart, poop, pass gas, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we can't pretend like it's not here. No, it stinks. Let's just deal with it. And come hell or hot water, we deal with it. It's like the third time I've said hell to you gotta reconcile. So uh, that's a good question. I think, like, to reconcile your heart, we have to say, "Hey, I'm a, do I really hold a racist bent?" So sometimes I challenge my white brothers and sisters. I say, "Listen, we talk about all kind of sin issues, except for racism. Like, that's not really an issue. Go to Acts. The birth of deacons came out of racism. Five, six, seven. Read it on your own. So the what we deal with is, for we have to say, "Hey, do I really harbor?" Feelings of hate towards people from other ethnic groups. And black folks can do that. Black folks can be racist. Now, now there's a difference between like having the power to suppress a particular group. So I want to be, I want to be really, really delicate here because there's multiple definitions about what racism really is and how we define that. And some people define racism as, of course, holding the power to, to move and to shift and to posture oneself over another particular ethnic group. And then you kind of play that stuff out. We've seen a ton of that. Right? But I think black people can harbor feelings of hate and resentment towards another ethnic group. So oftentimes, I have this conversation with black folks as well. We have to check our own hearts. Like, you really hate white people. And if so, you need to check that at the door. Like, the Lord needs to deal with that. Because there's, there's many different definitions on what critical race theory is. And that's important for us before we begin the, the, the critical race theory discourse. So if I'm calling critical race theory one thing and then everybody else is calling it another, we can't even deal with it. And I learned that when I started talking about like what love was for my wife. I'm like, oh, I love you. She's like, no, you don't. I'm like, yes, I do. I'm like, I love you because I do X, Y, and Z. She's like, no, 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 no. Love for me is A, B, and C. I'm like, oh, snaps. I ain't been loving you well. Because I've been thinking love is X, Y, and Z. And you're telling me it's A, B, and C. So we have to first rightly define what critical race theory is. So it, I think we talk about what is critical, right? To look at something deeply, right? To, crit to critical, critical thinking, right? Critical race. Now, I even, I even struggle with the word race because I believe we are different ethnic postures. There's one race, the human race. Read a book by Dr. Jarvis Williams called One. Write that down. And he deals with that. Right? And then theory. So it's the theory of de dealing critically with different ethnic groups. We do not throw that away because that's not Revelation 5, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue bowed at the feet of our king. No, we deal with it and we deal with the, the rub and the friction that comes along with that. We don't throw it out. Now, the difference is we look at critical race theory different than an unbeliever does. And I do believe there are some unhelpful voices out there dealing with critical race theory, dealing with politics and all kind of stuff. But we look at, we look at everything from a Christian and biblical worldview. Does everybody get to answer your question? So there are four definitions in my mind right now that did that with how people define critical race theory. And we have to land on one. We have to know what critical race theory means to us before we start talking about 
Did I answer your question? At least a little bit. Okay. People throw some Christians out and say, oh, listen, man, what most of us, what most believers like want to like want to hang. I mean that for real, literally want to hang some black people for like black believers and even white believers. What they want to hang them for, like black folks in some of the circles that I know people, they would laugh at what we, what we define as critical race theory. They would laugh. Like, That's not critical race theory. But we get up in arms about it. Like, oh, he's, 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 a, he's a Marxist. I'm like, oh, you're stupid. You need to read more. And the more you read, the more you understand that what he's saying is not what this group of people are saying. Read ta Coates' work. Read anything he's written. Read it. Pick it up and read it. And then compare that with what you hear from some of the believers. Now, he is a brilliant scholar. And I pray that he comes to know the Lord Jesus. Because when he does, or if he does, that is going to be a powerful tool for Christianity. We all we come from Adam and Eve, right? So where does oh man? So we start talking about racism. And we come from Adam and Eve. Who made up these categories? Who normalized whiteness? It's not in the Bible, y'all. We come from two folk. Adam and Eve. The whole world's population. And that's God's design. We can go to Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. We can deal, we can deal with Genesis 6, the flood. We can deal with those things. But we still come from one man and one woman. Now, here's the deal. Here's one thing we gotta do. I didn't, I didn't get to this, but I'm getting to it now. I said a little bit. You have to read. Here's what I want y'all to do. People often ask, hey, Dr. Jones, like, what are the top couple of books we can read that will get us over the hump on this issue? Here's what we gotta do. You've been miseducated. And I know that for sure. I know that for sure. Here's what you gotta do because you've been miseducated. You have to read books about black people. Like start stacking your shelf full of books written by black, black people, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Latin Americans, Hispanic Americans, and women. Imagine that, women write books. <gasps> Stop just reading Dead white men and old white men. They can be wrong. You gotta read people that don't look like you. And read a lot of it because you know what? You're behind. You're behind. What I mean is you haven't read nearly enough. So think about go go through your mental roll Let's just do a hand count right quick. How many books do you think? And this is, this is no embarrassment. I shouldn't ask you out. Answer this question in your heart. How many books have you read by minorities? Answer that in your heart. And then ask yourself why. Don't ask yourself why. I'm gonna have time to do that right now. 